0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein.
1: And I'm ABC Senior Congressional Correspondent Mary Bruce.
0: Mary, the government shutdown, have you heard? Uh,
1: they, uh, is that the sound of the tumbleweeds rolling through the halls of Capitol Hill? Actually, the sound yeah. of the
0: trash <laughs> overflowing at the at the national parks and uh, on I the know, National Mall. It's I kind know. of a gross shutdown in addition to everything else. It's uh, about 12 days long and it is continues to be among the most inexplicable shutdowns yeah. in recent memory. And, and it's also going to start challenging for one of the longest. We got a lot to cover today, Mary, as uh, it's a new year. Happy New Year to Happy you. Happy New Year. Uh, we are a day away from a new dawn where the Democrats will have control of the House of Representatives. Um, Donald Trump's united control of uh, of Washington is over. Maybe the easy part of his governance is <laughs> over. It gets harder from here, if you can actually believe that. Uh, we have a brand new freshman senator um, who will be inaugurated uh, tomorrow, We sworn in tomorrow. Who's making some waves, a guy named Willard Mitt Romney (laughs) from the great state of Utah. Uh, And we've got some 2020 movements as well with Elizabeth Warren getting things started on New Year's Eve. But let's start with the shutdown, Mary, because this is this has been kind of a a slow motion train wreck. Uh, We had the infamous meeting at, at the White House where the president and Democrats clashed in front of the cameras Uh, The president says, I'll willingly take the blame. I won't blame you for it. It'll be my shutdown. Uh, It looked like there wouldn't be a shutdown. Then there was a shutdown. And since that time, he's been blaming Democrats, but really not doing much else.
1: Yeah. And since that tense meeting, that was the last time until today that they actually talked face-to-face to to try and hammer anything out. Uh, We're now in week two, and it's remarkable that there really has been no movement. If anything, both sides have actually been digging in further. I mean, the president spent the bulk of this holiday break uh, tweeting and upping the ante, threatening, you know, not just to keep the government shut down, but to close down the border. Uh, You saw Democrats and Republican leaders of Congress, they got out of town, they all went home, they enjoyed their holidays. Uh, Now they are back and the pressure will begin to ramp up because... As you mentioned, you're seeing the trash overflow. You're hearing about uh, the the trouble in a lot of national parks. You have 800,000 federal employees who are furloughed or not receiving a paycheck. And many of them, that next pay period is right around the corner. So they'll really start to feel this pinch. But it just is astounding that you've seen... No real attempt to negotiate. Uh, This has become, with each passing day, I think it's safe to say less and less about an actual brick-and-mortar border wall and more simply about politics and winning, which is not unusual in Washington, but it is kind of unusual when you're dealing with a government shutdown. I mean, this is real people's lives that you are are toying with here uh, to score political points. And it is just hard to see, though, at this point— how this ends? I mean, I really not to start off the new year with a, a bit of pessimism, but I think we could be in in for for a long haul here.
0: And as you mentioned, the, the consequences get worse with time. It's individuals, yeah. hundreds of thousands of them not getting paychecks, of course. Um, it's also uh, permitting slowed when department when you need department approval for things not existent at all. It means IRS agents aren't. It coming. slows
1: it's, everything it, down. Every
0: everything at every level, and you know the Small Business Administration can't put its loans out. So there, it has it, it has a, a cascading effect throughout mm-hmm. the economy beyond the trash and the very visible signs of the padlocked zoo that we're <laughs> going to be seeing here. Uh, but, but what's interesting here is that it, to the extent that there seemed to be a strategy behind this, and I, I think most people would say there probably wasn't a strategy, but if you're going to have a strategy about the shutdown, you know one fact, which is that on January 3rd, you lose control of the House of Representatives. There will be 40 fewer Republicans in the, in the House of Representatives tomorrow uh, than there are today. This has been known for some time. And the president, in, in following through with his threat of a shutdown, when he backed out on a deal that had been negotiated be, between McConnell and Pelosi, had to be thinking about this date. Because if you've got leverage, you've got it in the majority. That's when you have your guys. They don't have that. So if you thought Democrats would cave when they were in the minority, why would they start to cave when they're in the majority? And
1: it's why, in talking with Democratic sources, they know with, with each passing hour, because now we're talking hours, uh, their leverage grows Um And it's also interesting to see the president, you know, in his many tweets over the last week, he's been hammering Nancy Pelosi over the shutdown. But remember, Nancy Pelosi doesn't have any power here. I mean, yes, she is now as of tomorrow, she will be in a position to to really negotiate. But up until now, she's not in control. She hasn't been able to bring legislation to the floor. That's all been Republicans. So if the president was hoping to get his wall that was his chance. And that window, as you pointed out, is rapidly closing. And we do know practically what we're going to see. We know that House Democrats are going to, to put some legislation on the floor that would keep the government uh, up and running, would, would reopen the government, um, but would not give the president what he wants. And the White House already says, you know, thanks for no thanks. That's a nonstarter that that plan isn't going anywhere. Um, So even though you're seeing glimmers of progress like them talking, sitting down at the White House today, you know, there is some legislative push being made. None of that seems to be heading towards genuine compromise.
0: And it is to me a little window into the president's mindset at the start of this new dawn for his presidency. Because in addition to the Democrats being in control, you're seeing several of them begin to announce their presidential Mm -hmm. candidacies. The 2020 campaign really began at the at the beginning of 2019 with the Elizabeth Warren announcement and with others that are likely to follow. So his mindset in this has been not about governing, not about moving to the middle, not about being chastened by losing. In fact, he continues to say that actually his party won because they've got two additional senators, but about catering to that base, going back to that base, and the idea that he's willing to engage in a prolonged government shutdown over a border wall that much of his party doesn't really care that much about, and certainly the country, the polling would suggest, doesn't really care about, isn't the reason... Uh, fun- uh, fundamentally, they got elected, even though he ran on this promise. That says a lot about how, his mindset and where yeah. he is looking to lead, such as it is in this uh, in, in this new era.
1: Yeah, he's leading to the base. And remember that the Senate, Senate Republicans, did pass a plan that would have kept the government up and running and would not have funded the president's wall. They are Anonymous, not largely, yeah, yet. they are not behind him in this fight. And the president seemed to be on board, but it was the voice of his base, the very loud voice of his base that he could not ignore when they started to, to blast him for caving on his signature. That's how we ended up in this situation is the president had this dramatic uh, change of heart and realized that he was in danger of losing some in the base if he didn't really, you know, go all in on this fight. Um, When you talk about 2020, it is interesting as we start to have these conversations and we will have this conversation many times (laughs) and many times over in the next year. But there is a danger for the president in playing too much to the base. You know, you don't often win presidential elections just by catering to the base. Um, And is the president, by shutting down the government, uh, risking alienating some of those other voters who he does need?
0: And one big warning sign uh, fired right before this Congress started. This drops at 8 o'clock on New Year's Day, an op-ed by the soon-to-be junior senator from the state of Utah, Mr. Mitt Romney. And what an op-ed this was, Mary. This was a, a, a pretty, a, 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 this was a siren call uh, for uh, for Republicans. A lot of them been looking to Mitt Romney, a man who comes to this, uh, to this position, with quite a bit more stature than your typical freshman uh, as the former Republican nominee for president, a two time candidate, um, he ran with the support of President Trump with the endorsement of President Trump. But he wrote this op ed right at the start of this uh, of his term, where he talks about the incumbent 's shortfalls and, and says that they 've been glaring at times that the trump 's character falls short. Uh, And here to me is the key key quote. I want to read this from the op-ed. Quote, I will support policies that are in the best interest of the country and my state and oppose those that are not. I do not intend to comment on every tweet or fault. But I will speak out against significant statements or actions that are divisive, racist, sexist, anti-immigrant, dishonest, or destructive to democratic institutions.
1: That's a wide net right there.
0: <laughs> it is. And, and the, the, the suggestion, more than implicit suggestion, is that the president has said and done things that are all of those things, that are divisive and racist and sexist and anti-immigrant and dishonest and destructive to institutions. I, I know, I, Mary, I've, I've covered Mitt Romney a long time. I've seen a lot of iterations of Mitt Romney mm-hmm. over, over that time going back to his days in Massachusetts and through two presidential candidacies. I don't think he's going to be commenting on every tweet. I don't think he's going to stop to denounce the president every time he does something that might register somewhere here but the fact that he might the fact that that's out there changes the dynamic and i feel like you're up there on capitol hill you're going to be running to him for for response
1: and and it's amazing a couple things it's amazing that he did this really scathing shot across the bow sort of out of nowhere i mean he didn't have to write this he's not responding to one this isn't about the shutdown this isn't about one particular issue this is this is Mitt Romney just taking on the president generally speaking which is pretty remarkable um he didn't wait for for to respond to one particular thing. He just went there. Um, it does seem that Mitt Romney is trying to, to send a message to the press, as you and I have been discussing, that he's saying, hey, look, guys, I'm not going to comment on every little <laughs> tweet here. Here, let me you know, remind you of where I stand going into this. To that, I say, good luck, Senator Romney, <laughs> uh, because I know that we are going to be up there you know, chasing him down. It is the most frequently asked question on the Hill these days to any Republican is, and I ask it all the time, what do you think of the latest tweet? Yeah, um, And th- he is in this position whether he likes it or not because there are just no other Republicans really stepping up to fill the void that has been left by uh, the Bob Corkers and the Jeff Flakes of the world who became that voice to challenge the president within the Republican Party and without them – those are some big shoes that, that everyone is looking for someone to fill and Mitt Romney now is saying uh, he, he's going to fill them and that means I'm sorry but you're going to get the questions and you're going to have to respond uh, or, or at least we're going to try our, our best to get you to respond to you a lot s- of the president's positions
0: you say the Bob Corkers and the Jeff Flakes of the world as if they're plural they're it they yeah. are the world yeah. and they have been the world for a while what's interesting to me because Romney obviously will be the, the go-to person particularly with Lindsey Graham having mm-hmm. moved into a different direction mostly supportive of the president even um, even after a lunch uh, over the holiday um, on, on Syria. But you, you do have Lamar Alexander, the mm-hmm. retiring senator now from Tennessee, who's got the stature to stand up, Ben Sass, who's mm-hmm. always been out there. And I do think the the end of last year, the, the firing or not, I'm sorry, the resignation of Mattis under protest over the Syria policy may have been a signal moment. Um, the replacement of John Kelly as chief of staff. Um, all those are things that Mitt Romney cites in his op-ed. There are cracks in the Republican wall that are starting to show. And it does not mean that they're revolting in mass against him. And as Romney pointed out, he likes a lot of the things the president has been doing. It's not about policy. But to me, it's a reminder of how this president came to office, which was not— with the support of the establishment. And look, look, none of us should be surprised by what Mitt Romney has written in the Washington Post if you go back to another iteration of Mitt Romney, go back to March of 2016, when he gave what remains to me one of the most jaw-dropping speeches I've ever, I've ever witnessed, I've ever covered in my time covering politics. Take a listen. His domestic policies would lead to recession. His foreign policies would make America and the world less safe. He has neither the temperament nor the judgment to be president, And his personal qualities would mean that America would cease to be a shining city on a hill. And this was a time, Mary, where... Uh, Donald Trump was the far and away front runner for the nomination. There were a couple of candidates left, but they were all engaged in these Hail Mary desperation um, attempts to, to try to defeat him. In fact, at that time, Mitt Romney said, well, the way to beat him is to, to support John Kasich in Ohio and maybe Ted Cruz with in, in Texas and go for Marco Rubio somewhere else. And there was no strategy to stop him. He was going to be the nominee. So for Mitt Romney to come out at that point and say— it's gonna, it's gonna tank the economy. He's gonna make us less great. It's gonna take a, take the shine off the city on a hill. Those are really striking things uh, for Mitt Romney to be saying at that moment. Um, of course that wasn't the last word that he had. And we've seen a, an evolution from Mitt Romney and from most Republicans over the last two years.
1: Well, and that's why, you know, Mitt Romney stands out and will be very treated very differently on the Hill than, say, a Ben Sass or some of the other Republicans who are uh, oftentimes that, that voice to counter the president. And that's because of their tremendous relationship. I mean, they also have something in common. They've both made these runs for, for the White House. They have both become such central figures in their party. And Mitt Romney has sort of gone back and forth on Donald Trump several times. So you never know quite which Mitt Romney you're going to get, because after delivering that that stinging rebuke of the president, then Mitt Romney was at one point considered to join the Trump administration. I mean, just take a listen to what he said uh, about then-president-elect Donald Trump.
0: It's not easy winning. I know that myself. Uh, He did something I tried to do and was unsuccessful in accomplishing. He won the general election. Uh, and uh, and he continues uh, with a, a message of inclusion and bringing people together.
1: Now, whether Mitt Romney still agrees with that uh, <laughs> remains to be seen. But but what will be really interesting to watch is not just how you know Mitt Romney responds to all of the president's various positions, but how Mitt Romney votes. Um, you know, yeah. it's one thing to 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 say that he disagrees with the president's tone, that he doesn't support some of his decisions, but is he going to vote against the president's wall, for instance? You know, how, wh- where will 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 Romney's voting record back up uh, some of the criticism?
0: And to that point, and I think it's a, a critical point. We went to the Wayback mu- Machine here to find a quote <laughs> from March of 2016. This is from May of last year. This is while Mitt Romney is a candidate. For Senate. Um, he had a he had a kind of token Republican primary opponent to get past. But he was asked about President Trump's time in office. And he said at the time, for, quote, his first year is very similar to things I'd have done my first year. The things he's actually done have been better than I expected. So if that's the judgment that Mitt Romney had a year, year and a half into the Trump presidency, did it change that much two years in?
1: Well, and that's actually a, a, a similar response you hear from a lot of Republicans up on the Hill is, look, I may not like the way that Trump is doing it, but I like what he's doing. Um, and, And so whether Mitt Romney will continue that sort of middle ground where, look, you know, I don't like the tweets, I don't like the tone, I don't like the tenor, but when it comes down to what the president's actually accomplishing, a lot of Republicans are on board.
0: Uh, indeed. And and this is this is an interesting moment. And the interesting moment for Trump as the Democrats uh, take take power. And he did the not uh,
1: take too kindly to this. We should mention it. it. It only took a couple hours. I think I think that tweet uh, hit, you know, sometime around 730 this morning. You knew it would not last long before the president would come out and blast Mitt Romney. So and, that's the other thing is now you've got the back and forth. This isn't just Mitt Romney uh, sort of speaking out. Now you have the president you know, firing back as well.
0: And an intriguing figure in this is the the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel, nay, Ronna Romney McDaniel. <laughs> that's how she used to be referred to. She is a Romney. She is Mitt Romney's niece uh, from his native state of Michigan as uh, she came up through the ranks in politics there. She has been a Trump loyalist through and through. And she has taken sides in this particular battle, uh, tweeting back at the junior senator-elect from Utah to say this is not the kind of uh, unity that you want to see at the start of the Congress. That's something that the Democrats can do. I'll tell you from some experience and having reported on the RNC in this in the past, this sort of thing doesn't get done or said by Ronna Romney McDaniel without The um, direction or strong suggestion of the White House, of the Trump team, we know that they're seething over this. They don't like anything to take away from that display of unity. And this matters for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, in terms of the signal from the RNC about about where things stand but if Mitt Romney or anyone else any other republican were to challenge president trump for the republican nomination in 2020 it would be the rnc overseeing that operation as of this moment with ronna mcdaniel and with the rest of the operation there the rnc has become a wholly owned subsidiary of the trump campaign that would have to change in a very substantial way to to even allow the possibility of a primary challenge.
1: And it's also a sign that things could be a little awkward at the next Romney family reunion.
0: (laughs) Indeed, indeed. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we are going to talk some 2020 politics because the starting gun has been fired. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting to your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. Get started today at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's indeed.com slash podcast. And welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. And as we mentioned, 2020 is now. You thought it was 2019. <laughs> You're wrong, Mary. It's Happy not.
1: New Year for next year. <laughs> right.
0: We're always, we're always looking ahead in, in, in what we do here in politics. Uh, but things got started um, on New Year's Eve. Uh, one of the more unusually timed announcements that I've seen, maybe taking advantage of a news vacuum, maybe taking advantage of some filing periods with the FEC. Who knows? This is Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts.
1: No matter what our differences, most of us, want the same thing, to be able to work hard, play by the same set of rules, and take care of the people we love. That's the America I'm fighting for. And that's why today I'm launching an exploratory committee for president.
0: Okay, so she's in. We're door, off to the races. Committee, whatever that means. We're off to the races. She's in. I, first of all, to talk about that video, because I, I thought it was a fascinating piece of political theater. I love these things. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I dissect every frame of them. She did not mention Donald Trump once no. in this video. But the imagery, I thought, was just touching every possible touchstone of liberal angst, anxiety, mm-hmm. concern. There were quick shots of Kellyanne Conway and mm-hmm. Stephen Miller and the migrant—the migrant, uh, the migrant 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 crises and the border wall, anything you could imagine. Uh, Steve Mnuchin clutching money, looking looking like a Disney villain. All of the all of the, the the images of these last two years seem to have been crammed into about four minutes of film where Elizabeth Warren made her opening argument.
1: Yeah, And if you just listen to the audio, it was very clear that, look, she's trying to rise above this. She's not going to get down in the muck with Donald Trump. But you're right. The video said the exact opposite, which is that I am running in direct contrast to this president um, and, and making a pledge to the American people to kind of restore things to, to the way that they may have been prior to this administration. Um, She is a lightning rod of a figure. And it will be remarkable to see. I mean, look, Donald Trump uh, has made clear his feelings about her. Um, We know that they are going to uh, he's going to criticize her no matter what. Um, But she has a strong base within the Democratic Party. It's just a matter of which Democratic Party she's representing, because there are certainly many in the party who feel that she possibly could not stand up to President Trump because uh, of how far left she is and because of um, the way in which she's sort of already tussled with the president.
0: She does have a message. And, and the message that she's carried throughout her time in public life, and going back to her time At Harvard and uh, advocating for the consumer consumer protection agency, uh, and then running for Senate has been about the the economy is just fundamentally rigged. It's Mm -hmm. broken. The system's broken, and uh, it needs these new regulations to fix it. It's not quite Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, as a as a democratic socialist, is more into tearing more of the system down. She's more into guardrails and protecting the Mm -hmm. system. And it's been about empowering. People to make choices and to, to have a government work for them and to make choices that end up rewarding them. And it's entwined in a good personal story, being raised by a single mom in Oklahoma and and coming through the ranks and working her way through Harvard Law, um, she is lampooned um, as um, at Pocahontas by President by President Trump. Also, as a as a you know classic limousine liberal uh, yeah. out there at Harvard in Cambridge in her in her home. But I, I do think there's there's a there's a a message of uh, fundamental clarity that she's able to enunciate, uh, whether it's. Whether she's the only one doing it in that particular lane, whether there's whether there, whether she's the most effective person doing it, maybe, she, maybe whether she should have done it four years ago yeah. when there was a real clamor and outcry for her to potentially do it. We saw in the Bernie Sanders campaign the beneficiary of a lot of that. Maybe the timing's off. Maybe all those things. But I'll tell you, I don't know of a way that this primary works its way through the system and she, that she isn't a major player. Yeah, uh, she is going to be. Um, Should she should she follow through on the announcement, which I assume she will, she will be one of the people standing on those debate stages during the primary contest when we're coming up on Iowa and New Hampshire. And she
1: has very, very loyal supporters who are eager to see her take on the president. I mean, she is not afraid to get down in the dirt with him. Um, which I think a lot of Democrats are clamoring for. Uh, it is interesting, the timing of this, that she decided to get out there first. I mean, we knew this was coming. Obviously, we saw a video she did a couple months ago, um, especially when she took on some of the questions about her heritage. Um, but that she's the first one out there, that yeah. she is now trying to define that narrative uh, early on. And and I think now that opens the, the floodgates. I mean, now you are going to see many others follow suit to try and get that head start um, But the fact that she decided to do it now I think is interesting. Why over this holiday break? Why so, so, so early? Um, It does give her a chance to soak up some of the oxygen when – you know there wasn't much else going on, uh, but I I think she is eager to to grab uh, that mantle and to define it early on.
0: The you know, thinking, talking to Democratic strategists aligned with a bunch of the different campaigns. They, they're a little bit paranoid about money. Yeah, Be, the, money could bite the Democratic Party in this in this cycle. Uh, the idea of of accepting corporate contributions from particular industries. The idea of of forming super PACs. Mm-hmm. This was seen as non-controversial politics, a way to, to just fight on an even playing field. It's not going to be seen that way in a Democratic primary, not when people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and maybe Beto O'Rourke get in and forswear uh, that kind of big money politics, um, and a lot of the financial backing that might have been there in a previous cycle for kind of mainstream candidates, people like say a Cory Booker or Kamala Harris mm-hmm. or Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, it may not. They may not want it, and instead they're going to have to rely on the small dollar fundraisers. And I think this is the 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 secret that that uh, Elizabeth Warren hopes to unlock is to be able to demonstrate to the political world that she can raise a lot of money really quickly with big number of Mm -hmm. small donations we're going to see an announcement in the next week or two about what her eye-popping number of people have chipped in on an average of some small amount to just basically send the message that she can do it Mm -hmm. and if she can send that message that that percolates throughout the rest of the field. Other people start saying, whoa, she's a, she's a serious player. Maybe I don't want to put my chips on someone else who's maybe just now considering it. Yeah. Maybe that scares out a candidate or two if she's able to post a huge number after the first month or two of filing and take advantage of this full quarter for the FAC purposes.
1: Well, she's trying to force the, the, the party and the other candidates to play by these rules, right, right, to define the parameters of this race for the Democratic side. And it will be interesting to see which uh, and how many of, of her fellow uh, competitors adopt the same strategy. And then the, the challenge is always, can you stand up to uh, if the Republican candidate isn't playing by those rules. Right? Um, it, it's the this constant debate, but. Uh, it is interesting that she is very clearly uh, drawing that line, as we knew she would, and, and whether others follow suit.
0: And she'll be off to Iowa over the weekend. I was caught um, that Iowa was caught by a, a, a an unusual little little piece of uh, email that was put out by the Bernie Sanders campaign. <laughs> of course, he's not declared; he doesn't have an exploratory committee. He's not a declared candidate yet. for president yet. Well, the, the the subject line of this one was "If I Run," and it was an acknowledgement to me that, of course, yeah, he's thinking about mm-hmm. it. And he was asking people for $3 contributions. Now, all I could think on this is, you know, three bucks? Hey, you know, that's. The, I see you're, you're sipping a nice coffee from, from Starbucks there. What, what did that run you, Mary, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm not. You don't have to divulge any trade secrets in <laughs> your order there. But it's a small amount. But he's trying to build that list. And that yeah. list that he has is a powerful yeah. uh, engine in politics. And um, there was reporting about a meeting between mm-hmm. uh, Senator Sanders and Senator, Senator Warren before the holidays where they agreed that they had nothing to agree on. They weren't going <laughs> to be able to keep each other out of the race. Uh, we interviewed Jeff Merkley here on the podcast yeah. right before the holidays. And he said he wasn't going to be scared out by Bernie Sanders or anyone else. I don't know that the, that, that, that the, the flexing of muscle mm-hmm. is going to scare people out because there's so much unknown here. This isn't this isn't a situation like 20, well, uh, 2016 where you had Hillary Clinton and, yeah. and all of the money of the Democratic Party behind her.
1: And that's a challenge too. I mean, it, with so many candidates, where, where do you donate those $3, right? <laughs> um, when it's not clear who the front runner is or or even, you know, who the two or three main candidates are. And, and you have to love Bernie Sanders telling his supporters, hey, wait a second. Don't don't just send them right. just yet. If you're thinking about those three bucks, send them my way. Don't don't send them to Elizabeth Warren just yet. Um, you know, who knows if and when he makes that decision and what ultimately happens to that cash, but it just there is so so much money to be split. Um, how how do you divvy it all up?
0: Indeed, and, and it's all going to play against the backdrop of this new dawn in Washington that we talked about at the, at the start of the show. And I, Mary, I'm just curious, what you're expecting in these next couple of days? You've got the shutdown. You've got the, you've got Democrats putting some some bills on the floor. You've got investigations that are going to start. What are going to be the big takeaways from the first couple of days of Democratic control of Washington? I
1: like how you call it a new dawn. It's sort of like a new gridlock. <laughs> um, you're very cheery about the, the outlook here.
0: It could be foggy. It's you know, not, <laughs> not not suggesting sunlight. And, yeah. Well, and well, I mean,
1: for once, uh, assuming. We, we, at some point, reopen the government. Right. Uh, fingers crossed. We all hope that that happens at some point. Um, it, we know d- Democrats are going to be doing a lot of investigations. There's a ton of oversight to be done. All of the committees are, are chomping at the bit uh, to, to, to ha- take a stab at what they feel is a presidency that's been able to, to act completely unchecked for the last two years. Um, the challenge for Democrats, of course, is how to do that in an orderly fashion so that they don't step on their own you know toes so that they, they, they aren't just... Um, in danger of looking like they're over investigating, but showing the American people that they can legislate. And that's also important come 2020, because especially if you're an Elizabeth Warren or a member of, of Congress, and there are many of them who are eyeing a run for the White House, you have to be able to show the American people that you got something done, not just that you you know fired off a bunch of subpoenas and had a lot of hearings. So on the legislative side, the first thing they want to do is to put out this huge anti-corruption package. Speaking about about the the, the power and influence of money in politics, uh, this is going to be a huge bill that will tackle some of these challenges and it will have slim to no chance of actually becoming a reality because it will come up against the brick wall known as mitch mcconnell and the senate republicans (laughs) but it gives house democrats a chance to set a new tone and it gives them a chance to try to box in republicans and say what do you mean heading into 2020 you're going to oppose taking on money in politics give me a break and that's what you're going to see over and over again are house democrats voting on legislation to try and force their republican counterparts to have to get on the record on a lot of these issues um and so in addition to anti-corruption you're going to see them tackling healthcare early on I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something on gun rights shortly down the road uh, drug pricing you know infrastructure is the often talked about unicorn of bipartisanship that could get done I don't know if I'd hold my my, my breath on that one but what what we'll, what I'm watching closely is to see how they if they can at all coordinate the tracks right because mm-hmm. you have the legislation and the investigations. Can they do those side by side a little bit? So on healthcare, can they say, "Hey, we're going to investigate the way the Trump administration has has rolled back and, and tried to deregulate and and dismantle Obamacare at the same time that they try and pass some kind of substantive toothsome healthcare legislation, so that they 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 appear that they're coordinated." We'll see. Uh, there's a lot to get done, and they're very excited and really eager. And you have a lot of new young members, a lot of diversity, um, a lot of people still figuring out their ways around the halls up there. That's something I can relate to uh, <laughs> as you run into members lost in the tunnels. Um and that's something that will be interesting to watch, too. How do all of these new members feel when, when that optimism and that momentum of a campaign comes slamming into the reality of Washington bureaucracy? You know, things don't always get done too quickly around here. And you have a lot of fresh faces that are eager to get a lot done.
0: That's right. And Nancy Pelosi and uh, the speaker presumed soon to, yeah. uh, House, next House Speaker, the, the former. She's been there before. The Na- first
1: woman, by we should say, who, who it seems is poised to, 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 to be the speaker twice
0: that's right she was the first she's the first woman speaker and the second woman speaker yeah. is uh, she'll go down in history books a couple of times for all of that and she's going to have the unwieldy task of of governing in this era of restraining her own members of restraining these investigations when are we going to see the trump tax returns when are we going to be talking about the russia stuff on uh, on the hill uh, as opposed to just in the Mueller mm-hmm. in the Mueller probe it is going to be a daunting task uh, i'm not sure the white house is, is is dialed in for that yet either
1: i don't They, I mean, they know it's coming, but I don't think they really know it's coming. Um, What is about to hit them? And and Donald Trump, if he thinks the last two years have been tough, I mean, just buckle up. He has never faced a divided Congress uh, where his agenda really is going to be snarled at every twist and turn, not to mention the fact that you have someone looking for your tax returns, poking through your family business, looking at your contacts with Russia. I mean, it is all going to be under this intense, intense microscope. And Nancy Pelosi has to somehow wrangle everybody. And if you look even at how she handled the the fight for speakership, where she did have a lot of members of her own caucus who had campaigned proudly saying they would never back Nancy Pelosi for speaker – well, Nancy Pelosi had a couple meetings. She twisted some <laughs> elbows. She promised some things, you know, here and there. And lo and behold, a lot of them came around enough so that she's now uh, going to be the next Speaker of the House. And that is exactly why many Democrats feel that she is the right woman for the job, because she is able, you know, to to, to to get her caucus in line and she knows how to whip a vote and she knows how to twist elbows. And she actually has a pretty decent relationship with the president. I still am amazed. She doesn't have a nickname. You know, even though he may, you know, be be calling it the Pelosi shutdown here and there, all in all, you know, they're they're pretty cordial. We'll see if that lasts. But for now, um, dare I say, it could be a working relationship.
0: Ah, indeed. Well, (laughs) some optimism there for the new day. I've adopted the Klein optimism. There you go the new day, the new dawn, the new year. (laughs) all the rest. Mary Bruce, thanks for joining. Great to to have you with us as we covered a lot of topics here in the new year. And thank you for listening to us as this new year gets underway. Special thanks to our team, as always, Avery Miller, Angie Yak, and the man behind the controls, Trevor Hastings. We'll be back next time on Powerhouse Politics.